This is Coda Radio, episode 351, for April 1st, 2019. Hello, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show that takes a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. My name is Wes, and I'm joined by our humble host, who's been hard at work putting the final touches on his Jar Jar synthesizing machine. It's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Jar Jar Day! Right, so with this, I'll be able to make my voice sound like Jar Jar anytime I, I want. Is that is that right, Mike? That's all right. Before we can get into all the things, we have lots to talk about today. Really, some exciting stuff, some, some work Mike's been doing in the open source community, some frustrations he's had, a whole bunch more. But we've gotten some feedback from you, the audience, our favorite people. You can go to coder.show slash contact. That's probably the easiest way if you would like to be some of these fine examples and submit some contact. But we've also got a subreddit. Now, Mike, Eric had some comments for us. Enjoyed the show, number episode 350, as always. But I'm a little perplexed about Mike's choice of scripting languages. In particular, you mentioned Ruby and Python, I think. Eric writes, I like Python as well, but since I spend most of my day in .NET, I tend to prefer .NET script. Have you heard of this one, Mike? I have, I have, but I've never done anything in it. Well, maybe you can tell me a little bit more. Is this just like a, a runner framework, some sort of tool to make it easy to write scripts in C-sharp or other .NET languages? Yeah, it's very C-sharpy um, to literally script. So, I mean, it's just what it says on the tin, Wes. Uh, it's pretty pretty straightforward. If you are, I guess, a very deep .NET developer and you want to use .NET as your scripting language and don't want to use PowerShell, it's certainly an option for you. I am not sure how at home it is on platforms that aren't Windows. It does mention Linux at least as a build target, so that's something. It does, yeah. Um, you know, I'd be very interested to hear from uh, from Eric and from anybody else in the in the audience here if you're using .NET Script, and if so, why? Is it just the familiarity? Are you you know if you're a C sharp developer, or is it something else? Right? Is there some some jalapenos in the chili here? Right. I mean, I can certainly see it, you know, if you were in a framework and you needed some scripts that maybe were using some utility libraries you written as part of that project or something, you know, talking with data structures or objects that you've already had to make and you're just serializing them or passing them around or something. But I'm not sure .NET would be my first choice of scripting language if I was just trying to do something, you know, just scripting. Yeah. That said, this would be nice if you could avoid bringing in, you know, not having to think about a whole other runtime to support. Now, most environments have Python or, you know, it's easy to get Ruby. But still, you only have to think about one thing. That's usually simpler. That's right. So Tom, uh, Wes, was was not too happy with the uh, article we had in the Hoopla last week regarding Rust. Yeah, and that was a, a bit of a hot take on um, Rust. Well, I mean, the title says it all, right? Rust is not a good C replacement. Yeah. In particular, Tom objected to I mean, a quote we mentioned briefly, and that's just not valuing 
the safety of Rust. And Tom in particular writes, seriously? No way I'd hire this guy. I think Tom also hit on some good points here when he talks about a lot of the issues he has with Rust right now really stem from it being a new language. You know, it, ha- it hasn't had time to really settle in. So of course, there's going to be a lot of changes. And it might that might be a legitimate reason why it's not the language you should choose for a particular project. But we would imagine, and who knows, we'll see, that'll probably settle down as the language matures. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say, I, I think Tom makes some pretty good points, um, kind of criticizing the article, in particular, the safety aspect. You know, Wes, as we get older and more grumpy. You never, Mr. Dominic, never. <laughs> no, of course not. No, 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 no. Of course not. Not me. I'm talking about you now. Yes, I am um, a grouch. Things like being able to not have weird runtime crashes become increasingly important. Um, and Rust does provide a level of safety that you don't get in a lot of more loose languages. It's also interesting to me, see, see the, the newness of Rust, I, I definitely can see as an issue. It's good, it's good and bad, right? I mean, you get like a really nice thing like cargo that comes with it, but they're still working out a whole bunch of stuff like, you know, look at like some of the async stuff, for instance. Yeah, I mean, Cargo, just coming from the Ruby world, Cargo's like Ruby gem slash bundler as they should have been. Right? Yes, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, but but you do get things like, well, there's maybe not the package you want to do something. Maybe there is a package, but it doesn't run on the operating system you need it to run on. Mm, I see. And maybe it sounds like you've run into this problem yourself very recently. You could say this morning. Okay, tell us a little bit more. What are you working on? I have a need in one of my projects to pull basically thumbnail images out of um, STL files. And for those who don't know, STL files are like 3D printing CAD files. There is a GitHub project that's open source um, uh, called STL Thumb. Very cool looking project. It has a GUI and everything. I don't need a GUI. I need a command line interface, but it also has that. Works on... There's some issues with the version of OpenGL and, and Mesa, or is it really Misa? It would make me so happy if that, that was pronounced Misa. It can be if you like. I was always saying uh, Mesa, but... I think it's Mesa, yeah. So first, I you know I need it to work on macOS and Ubuntu 18.10 with... Um, okay, that sounds fairly reasonable. I mean, not a, not an LTS on the Ubuntu side, but, but still, you know, a new, relatively new, should be easy to support operating system. Yeah. Unfortunately, the... Um, or maybe fortunately, depending on your perspective, the community around it, and I even believe the maintainer, are Arch guys. And of course, they're a little ahead of the curve. So there were a few, there was a minor issue that like there's a fix in there for Arch that breaks it on my version of Misa. I, I would imagine a lot of people's version of Misa if they're running Ubuntu. And it just doesn't work on macOS at all. Because... We can dive into this, Wes, if you want. But there's like the whole OpenGL macOS metal thing is like sick. It's insane. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So maybe we should just like as a little tangent here. What is metal and how does that factor in? Because OSX has had macOS, excuse me, has had you know OpenGL for a long time. And I think at one point, at least when I was using that platform a little bit more, most things kind of worked. Yeah, Apple traditionally has had a somewhat behind implementation of OpenGL, but, you know, a rock-solid one that was built into the operating system. Right. That's still true, but it's a bit more behind. And 
it's uh, technically in macOS Mojave, it's actually listed as deprecated in favor of Metal, which is Apple's proprietary-ish, although I think it may be or may be coming open source, but it's it's a it only exists on Apple, right? So there's two new graphic technologies. There's Vulkan, which is like open source and exists everywhere and is like very Linuxy, and I think it's on Windows now too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's on Mac too. Actually, I think you can totally run Vulkan on Mac. There's OpenGL, which is kind of the you know the granddaddy of the cross-platform graphics uh, libraries, and then there's Apple doing its own thing with Metal. How does that come into play here? Because I guess as a cross-platform application, this thing has no knowledge of Metal, right? Well, right, and the and the and the maintainer does not. Uh, he doesn't claim Mac support. Um, I don't even think they ever tried Mac support. I see. You're just trying to rely on the fact that macOS is similar enough, a Unix-like environment. Right, because usually if it's a command line thing and you just like don't worry about having a UI, you can get away with that, right? Because this, right, right. this um, yeah, STL thumb is really two parts. There's the command line and then there's the UI. Unfortunately, the version of OpenGL in, in macOS like required me to rewrite the, uh, the vectors and the um, shaders. So the dot vector and the dot shader files, which wasn't a huge deal because they were they were fairly simple. But as someone who has not done that really ever, it was definitely an educational experience for me. Right. I mean, it, you were kind of just hoping that you could generate these. Did, are you going to have to dive into this stuff anyway? Or was this totally another just sort of circuitous route you had to go as one little roadblock to get this working? Yeah, so actually, um, I have a pull request up. I, I Obviously, I have no idea if the maintainers are going to want it or not. Um, it's totally reasonable that they may not care for Mac support because that's yet another platform that you have to support. Right, it can often be hard. Right, yeah. and I had to pull in a dependency to do it, so I could see lots of reasons for them to reject this pull request. Um, but I was able to basically check for Arch Linux and have the special case for Arch because they there's a special environment case where they force a certain version of Misa and basically the whole thing fails if you don't have it. And also check for macOS and load completely different uh, OpenGL files for macOS, which I then had to rewrite in the... So there's, I don't know how familiar you are with OpenGL, but there's the uh, GL, GLSL, uh, graphic language scripting, graphic... I want to say open graphic scripting language. There we go. Tell me more. Uh, so basically, it's just a way to represent um, shaders and, and vectors, effectively. But it has changed a lot over the years. And the version that most like sane operating systems are using <laughs> are not as old as the Mac one. And so you have to implement them differently. Uh, there's been enough API changes over the years that it's just it's really just a whole other target. Right. So in this case, it wasn't that much code. So it was like I could get it done and me not knowing the API could get it done by like, I just sat there with the specification doc. It was like, okay, so in version 1.2.0 versus 3.3, you know, what, what is the equivalent, the equivalent basically call here? Took a little bit, but bottom line, you can look at it. There's a link in the show notes. Um, my fork on GitHub, it does run on macOS on the command line. It's been tested on 18.10 but and, and Pop OS. So every basically Debian derivative it'll run on, assuming you have OpenGL installed, which I think they all do. I'm sure it's easy enough to get. Yeah, and the branch is macOS underscore support. 
So I'm hoping it gets merged in. If not, I'm going to have to maintain the macOS fork for a while because I need it. So Yeah, okay. So like, kind of going back to that feedback item, were you already going to use a bunch of Rust for this? I mean, it seems like maybe you've had to put in a little extra work, which is benefiting the community, it sounds like. So that's awesome and, and good on you. But do you need this functionality to be in Rust? Is Rust a particularly good choice for this? Or it was just close enough to what you were using and um, almost worked on the platform you wanted? No, I didn't need it to be in Rust. It was, you know, I was looking for a solution that would run on macOS and Ubuntu. And there is just, I mean, we we could hit this as much as we want, but there's like a million .js, like JavaScript libraries that do a bunch of stupid UI things. Absolutely. But once you want to do something like process LTL, STL files and orient them correctly into PNG thumbnails, there's like, not many choices. <laughs> so um, I picked this one because it supported Linux as a first class citizen. And just I kind of took a quick look through the code with my kind of limited Rust experience and basically said, well, it seems reasonable that I should just be able to do the equivalent of a bunch of if checks or like preprocessor macros to say, you know, are you on Mac? My original hope was, of course, it would just run on Mac, right? right yeah, you'd have to do nothing, maintain no separate fork, and just get it to go. But I had I had been looking for a solution for about three days to this. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. So this was kind of a roadblock. Yeah, I didn't like. I was I was really hoping for a Ruby gem that basically wrapped C plus plus. Mm, yeah, right with native extensions and all that. Yeah, no such gem was uh, forthcoming. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, and that would probably be a lot more work to create than just. Um slightly modifying what you've done here and i imagine perhaps it was a good little um further experimentation with rust yeah it was good i um it's interesting so i i'm, I'm curious how uh you know i don't have a sense of where the usage is with rust right now in the rust community is there a lot of mac os people who would be like yay port things to mac or is it kind of you know this and many other things weren't ported to mac for a reason Mm, yeah okay i see what you mean well i guess you'll find out and it does make me think on that whole topic whether or not rust is a good replacement for c or good at any other job it seems like just one more topic we kind of have to wait and see right it'll get used or extended in areas where people find a good fit or are willing to put effort into for business reasons or personal reasons or, or whatever and if it ends up replacing a whole bunch of c stuff or c plus plus stuff or both or you know ends up booting node out of existence we'll just have to wait and see we will see if the gophers just defeat the rust stations. Indeed. Well, that's cool, Mike. I'm excited to see um, see what happens there and uh, see if it gets taken upstream. If anyone out there is interested, you can find more details and links to everything at coder.show slash 351. Well, you mentioned Ruby there, Mr. Dominic. And when I saw this next article I want to talk about today, I immediately thought of you. And the article's title, I think, says a lot. And I imagine you have all kinds of thoughts about this, but let's go into it. Why I miss Rails. Yes. The world of tech moves fast, and there's always new frameworks and paradigms popping up that make developers' lives easier and allow us to build more and more powerful applications. But these transitions don't always just make things better for developers. Sometimes we take steps backwards and undo the progress that we've made. Now, of course, Rails isn't universally beloved by developers. 
And I'm not suggesting that we give up React or ES7 and go back to writing server-templated web apps like it's 2012 again. However, I do think that in the transition to the modern web stack, and, and here he means something like React, Node.js, GraphQL, etc. We've unsolved some of what tools like Rails made easy. And I don't think it needs to be that way. Rails took all the boilerplate that comes with building any web application and made it trivial to implement. Since Rails owned the whole application stack, it was easy for the community to contribute plugins that would add whatever thing you needed. You want to be able to upload images, resize them, push them up to S3 afterwards? Great, there's a gem for that. And because it's all the same system, you can make a lot of simplifying assumptions about how those pieces can connect together. Compare that to the state of a typical web stack with something like Node, TypeScript, GraphQL, maybe React and Apollo on the front end. There's just no standard way to get user accounts with a login and sign up and forgotten password and email confirmation, despite every application needing it. So instead, we spend days rewriting this functionality anew in each project. All these things that used to be easy in Rails just take a fair bit of manual effort today because we don't have a standardized setup and ecosystem. And what's your take on that, Mr. Dominic? Do you agree? I mean, there's there's been some attempts and, um, you know, I I was looking through and, and various people in the comments here suggested a whole bunch of different options about, you know, maybe some other languages, Phoenix in particular. Phoenix, in particular, the web framework uh, of Elixir, uh, you still use Rails, right? So, I mean, is the whole premise wrong? So, yeah, there's a couple things in here. I, I, I think he ultimately has a point. No one is stopping you from using Rails. In fact, I would argue that the reason people quote unquote miss Rails is because it's just not cool to go to a, you know, a, a bar camp or a dev camp. Uh, or, de- you know, dev fest, you know what I mean? And to say, yeah, I'm a Rails dev because it's old, right? Having said that, I have lots of large-scale Rails applications in production for people. And, you know, some of the advantages um, that's mentioned here, like there's a package for everything, right? Which, of course, gems. That's actually just a side effect of maturity. Because Rails is old, whenever... You know, it's super common for people to do the thing like, I have a need, let me write a quick gem. Okay, my project is done. Let me write the same type of thing, but more generic as an open source gem. That way, one, I can use it later. I being, you know, some random Rails developer here. Oh, and also the community can, right? And that, that's good for lots of reasons, right? Building, you know, it shows credibility, things like that. Right. When Rails came out originally, and I would say for the first like four or five years, it just wasn't the case that there were gems for everything. And it's, you know, it's 2019. Having said that, I almost feel like there's a deeper conversation. I would wonder what you would think on this, Wes, of Rails being both mature, but also extremely opinionated in how you do things, right? Like you have to structure your app a certain way. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I like to think about it as um, like there's a scale from libraries to frameworks, and Rails is hard on that framework side. Yeah, Rails is. I mean, Rails doesn't even let you break its rules in some cases. For instance, helpers cannot be called from uh, from controllers, right? They have to be called by views. Why? Because DHH and the Rails team felt that that was the right way to do it. And guess what? 
it won't let you do it the other way. I happen to agree with it. I'm just using that as a, an example, right? Yeah, and so you may find situ- situations, and perhaps too, it might scale with choice of language um, and experience level as well. Like Rails or, or Django, I think a lot of this applies to Django too. Because all those decisions have been made for you, you don't have to think about it. And when you're still, you know, when you're starting out or just trying to get like a simple prototype out there, that can be super useful. But maybe you sometimes, as you advance and realize like, all right, well, that pattern doesn't work for this particular reason in my application. Now that I understand it, I'd like to be able to take it apart. Sometimes that's harder in the Rails world. Yeah, I mean, there's a little conflation in this in this post uh, between like front-end and back-end technologies. I, I'm assuming when he says Rails, he actually means like a Rails monolith where you're just generating the UI as ERB and sending it down. Um, but I almost wonder if it's worth bringing kind of Node on the server into this conversation. Because I would not ship a large-scale Node app. I... Man, I don't know, Wes, I don't know how you feel about Node, but I, I just fundamentally think that the whole direction that the JavaScript uh, world has gone in is just really problematic, um, really unstable. It moves too fast, at least for the type of customers I tend to work with. And they've had more than one security issue in NPM. Okay, yeah, see, I was, gonna, I was just about to ask what reasons, you know, for not using Node. Was it runtime? Was it performance? Language? But yeah, those are, I mean, yeah, absolutely. NVM has had uh, way too many issues, unfortunately. And uh, it does it, it, it does seem like it moves really fast. I like Node as a runtime. Um, I think, I mean, mostly just because V8 is awesome. But you're right, like JavaScript, JavaScript fatigue is real and it still, it still exists today, even though, I mean, things are getting better and I don't, a lot of people are really enjoying TypeScript, so that might help. Yeah, TypeScript might help. I think Express kind of brought some standardization Ironically, by following many of Rails's patterns, <laughs> but still, I just see so many different things happening in the JavaScript ecosystem, and I'm just not sure. Is it, you know, is it that they're solving a problem that I'm not understanding? Is it just that it's a slightly less mature ecosystem, so there's still like a lot of room for people to come out with, you know, Chris's hair.js, or is it something inherent to the kind of the looseness of that of like how you can basically run anything on the node runtime right yeah and it it might be too that there's just you know there's a there's a large draw there's a lot of people everyone to some extent if you do anything on the web you kind of have to learn at least a little bit of bad javascript at some point in your life so there's just a lot of javascript developers i guess and so it, it seems like maybe some communities like ruby in particular you know they focused a lot on developer happiness and mindset and talked about it at conferences and you kind of had a little more solid culture, and I don't know that that exists to the same extent in the larger JavaScript community. I mean, of the, of the ones, uh, the alternatives mentioned the comics. Do any of them or comments? Comments, not comics, not Charlie Brown. Do any of them jump out for us? Well, the two prominent ones um, from from JS that I knew were Gatsby and Meteor, um, which I've only ever played with Meteor like a, a little bit. Okay, yeah. Um, really what stood out to me, one um, one is a closure framework, not really, I don't know, don't call it a framework, called Luminous. They call it a micro framework based on a set of lightweight libraries. And here the idea is basically kind of just helpful scaffolding and a lot of really nice documentation because the closure ecosystem in particular say like they really focus on the library side of stuff. So they don't want all those decisions made. And there are absolutely downsides. And I think that makes it pretty hard. You see so many questions frequently coming back up of like, 
how do I get started doing this, this, you know, web app? And if you learn from like a senior developer at a shop, then they probably have a pattern that they figured out and they've been using for all their applications and battle tested. But just trying to find that on the internet was hard for a time. So Luminous fills that role. So I think it's an interesting counterpoint because it's kind of the anti-rails is, is too strong, but it's, it's definitely on a different part of that spectrum. Right. And in a totally different way, Phoenix, I think, really stands out. People seem to really love it. I've only made like a, you know, like a dummy Hello World app and a little bit more. It's the sort of de facto web framework for Elixir. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't, I've heard of Phoenix. I have never done anything with it. I think it falls a lot closer. I mean, it's, it's certainly different than Rails. I mean, it's, a, you know, the Elixir world has its own way of doing things. But I think it's a lot closer to having something that is a consistent framework that works together. And they've just come out with an interesting new feature that's being worked on. I think it's called, uh, it's called like live pages. Is that what it's called? Let's see here. And it's, it, it's kind of br- trying to bring back more server side rendering actually, which is um, an interesting approach. Live view. Yeah. So that's, I haven't played with it yet, but um, I'll have a link in the show notes if anyone's interested. Cause it seems like a, I always like when languages can explore a different direction or, you know, bring back old ideas because we see that trend in computer science just all the time a lot of the stuff that's like really new today has just been productionalized out of research papers from the 70s functional programming so i don't know i I do think one you can absolutely still use rails today yes Uh, yes you can it might, might, might make a lot of sense if you just do it you know um especially in the most recent version they made it really easy just to make apis which i think ends up being what a lot of people do anyway yeah i mean it it really does have some advantages because it's mature and that a lot of the bigger issues have been hammered out. Yeah, it's not um, it's not sexy. I mean, d- depends on your preferences, of course. Yeah. But it, that that can be nice, right? You don't it's nice to be like you said at the start of the show tired and and grumpy and um you just want to use the tool that you know works and not have to constantly well, you just want to be stable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You want to be able to apply stuff, know that it's still going to work, that it's not going to suddenly break and that you spend half your dev cycle just chasing upgraded dependencies. I mean, I, not to defend the PHP people because, you know, I used to hate on them, but this is the exact reason like Slack is written in PHP, right? Because yes, they're like, so, so we just got to dig into a pet peeve here. Anytime I mention Rails at one of these dev meetups, somebody always wants to like dunk on active record. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I have two response. I have three responses to that. One, are you kidding me? All ORMs are slow, but define slow. Are you Twitter? <laughs> right. And mostly that's no. And, and no, you're not. In, in like 99.99% of the cases, right? Two, I would love to see you write these SQL queries by hand. I mean, I'm honestly a big proponent of that. I don't love ORMs, but you're right. Like there is, because of the large impedance mismatch between, I mean, objects and then like a relational model right. in your database, there is just going to be, it just it, it is super useful and handy and is often the right choice, especially for like CRUD style applications. But you should it's be a, aware it's that It's also not are, a binary choice though. So that's like a active good point. Record, active record, and I have this in a number of applications. If you have a query that's complicated and going to be slow, you can simply write the SQL query. But do all your normal CRUD stuff, like you were saying, in active record and like save your customer or your employer a ton, or yourself, really, a ton of dev time. So, yep, yep. It, it does seem like another one of those chasing, you know, premature optimization. And you can use these tools in, like you say, in, in many ways. You can build a Rails model. You can build just like a really lean little API relying on a lot of the handy libraries. There's lots of options. 
That's right. So Wes, I hear you have an Android phone. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, and, and how many HomePods did Chris send you? So far, zero. I mean, I haven't checked today, but may- maybe there'll be one. I did recently see a sale. I assume he bought like 10 of them. I- I'm assuming he bought them all. He just went into the store with a shopping cart. And- I'll take all of them, please. All of them. Thank you. So I have been trying to, for the last few months, do Android development via Xamarin on Linux. All right. Let me just rewind that whole sentence because I-, I was with you, Android development. I think I know what that means, right? Remind me about Xamarin. So Xamarin is a cross-platform app development framework um, that implements a .NET and C-sharp and actually F-sharp if you want for iOS, Android, and now like Linux with GTK and um, Mac and Windows. But Windows is weird. I think it's only UWP right now. I might be wrong. No, it is only UWP right now. Okay. I mean, that kind of makes sense given the nature of the APIs they're targeting. So I've had this working on and off for several months. The idea being the only supported platforms for Xamarin development right now are Mac OS and uh, whatever current versions of Windows. But Android obviously has, you know, an SDK that runs on Linux, right? Being ye olde Java. Right, of course. And the lovely folks at JetBrains came out with uh, Rider, which is their .NET IDE that has ReSharper just baked into the cake there. Oh, that sounds pretty nice. Yes, which like all their IDEs runs on Linux, Mac, and Windows. Oh, and the Xamarin team also every day on Jenkins sends out a build of the Android Xamarin SDK. This gets complicated, right? Because there's like the .NET SDK, .NET standard. There's the iOS Xamarin SDK, which you just can't run on anything but a Mac. Of course. There's some voodoo they have to make it work on Windows with like a networked Mac and, and like, oh man, could have a Mac in Azure. But, <laughs> uh, let's just, for the sake of simplicity, say you're not running it in the same way. So they make it in Jenkins for Linux, and there's like this crazy process. I have links in the show notes of you kind of pull down a tar, slam those into your bin directory, trick it into thinking to to overriding part of the mono SDK you have on your Linux machine, assuming you've you've apt get mono develop. I'm I'm sorry, the package is mono dash dev. And voila, you trick it into thinking it can run it, right? And when I say trick, you're tricking. uh... So this will be contentious. If you're from JetBrains, I don't mean this in a too mean way but like they do claim it works to do android xamarin development on linux with with their writer ide kind of doesn't i mean it 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 does but like so let me just give you a list of things that break before we get to (laughs) yeah okay very frequently whenever there's any kind of package update or like sdk update building at all breaks really yeah you mean the thing that you probably are using this really for so like uh, i have it mapped to like control shift b but i think that's the custom key map i use building to a device in particular breaks sometimes when you have to update the android sdk rider will not be able to find it really so there are threads where you will see my little mad botter guy because me like talking to them and people like trying to work it out there's like a russian guy in there with me and we're working on it together 
I spent a better part of the weekend trying to get this running. And I ultimately did. But it's so janky that I am sure the next time there's another nightly or weekly or whatever it is, Jenkins build for Xamarin.Android, the Linux version, it is absolutely going to break again. And is there no way, I mean, can you script this or find any way to make it, you know, start fresh or cleanly or be in any way repeatable? Or do you just have to sort of like hope, cross your fingers, install the new stuff and then fix whatever broke? I mean, my experience has been you cross your fingers and install the new stuff. But it's it's one of those things that should work if you think about it, right? Because .NET standard, perfectly native on Linux. Um, Mono is native on Linux, right? right? Native, you know, as in there's native packages. Not We don't have to have a native versus non-native fight. Uh, and there are Xamarin Android Linux packages that are built on the Jenkins server. It's just the tooling that doesn't work. And there's like there's like a number of bugs in Project Rider, particularly related to Xamarin, particularly on Linux, like things where it forgets where your Android SDK is, and that's they actually last week just acknowledged that that was a bug. I find it hard to express how disappointed I was that that I ended up having to decide that that was not really a viable solution for me. So you're not going down this route anymore. Is that right? No, it's not worth it. I mean, just wow. Yeah. What was the what was the draw here to using um, Xamarin to target Android? Uh, to using Xamarin or to doing the Xamarin Dev on Linux? Well, I guess the whole the whole package. So, are you going to just do it on? Are you going to keep using Xamarin and just pivot your development well, Xamarin, environment? Xamarin is good, right? Like Xamarin actually, the whole idea behind Xamarin is you can have. It uses the native UI toolkit. You don't have to if you don't want to. You can use Xamarin Forms. Mm, so they um, built like a bridge API between the .NET runtime and whatever. Exactly. Okay. But you and you can share all your business logic and like database code. Mm, I do so like it's, the it's sound of that. Right, and it compiles. It's near native. There are some disadvantages, like the packages are bigger. But sure, right. There's just going to be some it, overhead with having. There's overhead because you have the whole yeah. Um, if you're really like, you know, if you're consumer facing and you want to be Johnny on the spot with the newest iOS features, it does lag behind because like every other developer, they get the the beta when everybody else does. So they have to hurry up and implement the bridges. Mm-hmm. But if you're building a line of business apps or just like kind of apps that aren't writing the WWDC coattails, it, it's a great choice. It, you know, it it is compiled code. It's not just running it's not like Cordova, right, where you're just running in a browser and you're taking that massive performance hit. Yeah, so it's a little more, maybe not fully first class, but pretty pretty darn close. Yeah, it's it's near native, right? Like a lot of games are, like there's Mono Game, which runs on Xamarin. So any Mono Game you see on, um, on iOS or Android is using Xamarin underneath. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, what are you what are you going to do then? I can see why you want to use this technology. And as we know, you love .NET. I do love .NET. In fact, I have a shirt that says .NET loves me. Um, so it's a mutual sort of situation. Uh, well, I'm just going to do the Xamarin development on a Mac like I always do. That is, I mean, that, that's great that, you, that it works. I'm glad that you have a, a fallback, but it's, it's upsetting that such Linux native technologies can't come together in a way that is, it, is usable. And I mean, you are, obviously you spent a bunch of time trying to futz with it already, and you're a very capable person. You know your way around the system, so I'm surprised... It must be really pretty frustrating. 
Well, my thinking is this is actually just a matter of time before it becomes officially supported and you get like a nice, you know, run this shell script and everything set up. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, I wonder, I mean, it may not be, it's probably not their largest, uh, you know, developed platform that people are running on anyway. So less users, yeah, less Microsoft loves Linux, man. Microsoft loves Linux. Yeah. And yeah, it's funny because most of their, uh, most of the other setups when you're using other JetBrains IDEs work, work pretty flawlessly. That was a lot of time that you uh, probably sunk in there. So I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but please do report back if anything changes because sounds like, sounds like some neat technology. It definitely is. Speaking of neat technology, Wes, are you looking for a new job? No, I'm not. But, you know, we did talk a lot today about our friend Ruby on Rails. And for anyone out there who is a Ruby on Rails developer, Linux Academy might be a great fit. It's a great place to work. And they're hiring for a, an experienced Ruby on Rails dev right now. So if that's you, if you have some experience building APIs, with authentication, cleanliness, and role-based access permissions, well, that would be awesome. Please come help. Because Linux Academy is trying to build, you know, a pretty badass learning platform that gets to help students. So not only do you get full-time remote position, but you also are really helping a mission that helps other people. And what could be more satisfying than that? Can't think of a damn thing. Well said, Mr. Dominic. Well, Mike, where can people find more of you if this just was, wasn't enough for them this week? I mean, we'll be back. Don't worry. Just go subscribe, Show. But in the meantime, where are you at? Uh, they can find me at the beach like a good rustation, porting all your rust packages to Mac OS. Oh, that's great. Okay, but what if they want to complain to you about the quality of your ports and they want to send you some sort of message? Uh, that's, of course, at Dumanuku on Twitter, but make sure you CC at West Payne. You can follow the whole network there at Jupiter Signal, and you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com if you'd like to find all the other fine Jupiter Broadcasting productions. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.